I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening. On today's show, it's my conversation with singer, songwriter, author, and award-winning entertainer, Tony Orlando. Tony has been performing for over six decades. At 78, he's still performing his hits, including Sweet Gypsy Rose, Knock Three Times, and of course, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree, to name just a few. In our conversation, Tony shares stories from his early years when he accidentally ended up with a couple of number one hits, his time with the female singers known as Don, and their variety show. He also shares his encounters with musical icons Frank Sinatra and Elvis. I don't typically do a part one and part two of a show, but I had so many questions for Tony that we have decided to make this week and next week's show all about Tony Orlando. So today, here's part one of my interview. But first, this little ditty. Perhaps you remember it. Now here's my conversation with award-winning entertainer, Tony Orlando. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Are you kidding? Your father was Greek. Your mother was Puerto Rican. Your full name was Michael Anthony Orlando Casavides. And by 16, you, you would be... perfect. <laughs> you would be called... Most people Casavides, Casavitis, Casavitis... They never get it right, but you got it right. Thank you. But by 16, you would be called Tony Orlando. You were obviously born to sing and perform at an early age. At eighth grader, you were you had your first band, Five Gents. What kind of music were you playing and singing at that time? Well, you have to remember that my first record came out in 1961. It was recorded in 1960. So my doo-wop days with the group The Five Gents were in New York City singing doo-wop songs in the hallways because the hallways of the tenement buildings of New York always had magnificent echo. So you never sounded bad. It always It's like singing in the shower. It always works, you know? But the singing began in 1958. And I really was, uh, I don't know, a child, trying to sound like another child, Frankie Lyman, which was the first Michael Jackson. <laughs> so that was the kind of voice I had then. And by the time I got into the studio with Carol King in 1961, I had my first hit record. So let's talk about that first hit record. It was Halfway to Paradise, which is also the name of the book that was written in 2002. At 16, did you know what you were doing or were there a lot of people there to guide you? Well, I was very fortunate. I signed with a man named Don Kirshner. And Don Kirshner, of course was kind of a young 26-year-old guru in those days, kind of pre-Clive Davis. And in his office, he had the following people signed as teenagers. Myself, I was uh, 15 and a half. Carol King, she was 17 years old. Paul Simon, Jerry Goffin, Carol's husband, who was the lyricist. Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and two-time Academy Award winners as songwriters. All of us starting together, Bobby Darren, 
Connie Francis. We all started together in that same office in New York City. So I was surrounded by geniuses, to be honest with you. I mean, to have the four writers that were portrayed in the show Beautiful on Broadway, Carol King, Jerry Goff, and her husband, Barry Mann, Cynthia Wilde, those four writers are iconic, eclectic, beyond reason, the kind of songs that they made hits. For instance, in Carol's year with me, her first number one record was a song called Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow by the Shirelles. Then my record came out, Halfway to Paradise. So already I was working with a hit writer, as they say, and backed by a, a, a guru that was the head of the record business then, and that's Don Kirshner. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate. God had his hand on me, put me in the middle of genius, really. I was surrounded by geniuses. But you were 16 or 15 and a half. That's really young. Uh, you didn't finish high school? No, I couldn't finish high school because my sister was uh, severely brain damaged. She had an IQ, believe it or not, all of her 21 years, her IQ was somewhat close to an eight-month-old baby. So my mother and I, we took care of her. We, it was a tough job to do. My mother wasn't always a healthy lady, so I couldn't finish high school. So I ended up in eighth grade as, the, as far as I went to high school. I was in high school for a week. And then I was needed at home. But at the same time, I was making records with Carol. I would go on Saturdays into New York, uh, to her house in Brooklyn, New York. I was living in New Jersey, and she would teach me how to phrase her songs, etc. Then we went into the studio by the time I was 16 and had a number one record with Halfway to Paradise. So now I want to take you back for a bit. Can you tell me about your first experience on American Bandstand with Dick Clark? Do you remember it? A long time ago. I remember American Bass, of course, was the show for the young people to watch. It was the hottest show. It was an afternoon show. It was on ABC, and it was revered by young people all over the country, as Dick Clark was. So I was a nervous wreck. I know that. And uh, the one thing I do remember was an embarrassing moment. I uh, Yeah, you, you already know it's coming, don't you? Yeah, uh-huh. I did my first performance live on TV with my zipper open. And Dick Clark turned to me and said, uh, your drugstore is open. Why he referred to it as a drugstore, I still don't know. But that was what they used to call when your zipper was open or your drugstore's open. So we went to commercial and he said, hey, your drugstore's open. I said, what do you mean? Your zipper's open. What? He said, yeah, the whole country saw it. <laughs> so there I was, quite embarrassed. And that was my... Uh, what can I tell you? <laughs> so so I'm guessing moving forward, when you went on TV, you probably checked your fly every time before you went on TV? Did that become a habit? To this day. To this day. In fact, I just checked before we came on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My guest is singer, songwriter, author, and overall award-winning entertainer, Tony Orlando. You were working as a music executive and climbing the ranks, but Candida changed your journey. Tell me about that. Well, I went to work for Clive Davis at CBS. I was general manager in charge of the music publishing for Columbia Records, and Clive was my boss. I went in just right after the British invasion. There wasn't much work for us. So this 1963 or four, I went to work for Clive, and it was a an amazing experience working for him because I had to get a chance to work with some great artists, you know, James Taylor, 
so 66, I went working for him. So there was no work between 63 and 66 because the British invasion was so mm. huge. So American acts weren't getting any shows. So I was married very young. And so I had to go to work. And I went to work with him. It was one of the great, truly great moments in my life because I got a chance to learn behind the scenes. I, I got a chance to learn the business aspect of our business. So who did I get a chance to work with? James Taylor. I signed and discovered a kid named Barry Manilow who went up to great stuff. I uh, represented Blood, Sweat and Tears, uh, the Yardbirds. So these wonderful artists, I was in charge of their music. I was in charge of their future. I was in charge of getting their songs recorded by other artists. It was a glorious, really enlightening four years that Clive gave me. But I went in as a favor to a friend of mine who needed $3,400 to pay off his bills. And he came to me with a song called Candida, but the record was already made. The strings were on there, the rhythm sex was on there. So I took the record as a favor to him to a record company called Bell Records, which is now Arista Records. Mm. And I brought it to them. They loved the record, but they didn't like the lead singer. Mm. They thought he was wrong for the song. So I came back, I said, you know what? If you get a lead singer on this record, Hank, his name was Hank Medris, you will be able to get your $3,400. They're willing <laughs> to pay for it. So he said, you do it. I said, me? He said, you. He said, this song is very reminiscent of the stuff you used to do with Carol. Why don't you go and put your voice? I said, I can't do that. I'll lose my job. He said, I won't tell anybody. I'll change the name. I said, change the name to Joe Schmo and the Nail Biters, but not Tony Orlando. He goes, okay. I said, you got an hour, one hour. If I accomplish this performance in an hour, it's yours. Because I love the guy. He was one of my best friends. So I go in, constantly thinking I'm jeopardizing my job with Clive by so-called moonlighting yeah. for another label. Yeah. So I go out and I say to Hank, what's the first line in the booth? What's the first line? And he goes, stars won't come out if they know that you're about. All right, all right, I got it. Start the tape. And I sing that line. He'd stop the tape. What's the next line? <laughs> and I sang that song one line at a time, made it in one hour, walked out of the studio, forgot about it. Three months later, it was number one. The stars won't come out if they know that you're about Cause they couldn't match the glow of your eyes And oh, who am I? Just an ordinary guy Trying hard to win me first prize Oh, Candida We could make it together The further from here, girl, the better Where the air is fresh and clean yeah. Then he comes back to me and shows me a song called Knock Three Times. I said, no, I'm not doing it. By the way, I had no deal, no contract, nothing, just a favor. He says, well, this is the song, Knock Three Times. I said, well, that'll never make it. Nobody in the Midwest has pipes to, to knock on. It'll only be a hit in Brooklyn on the tenement buildings of New York. I record that, 
Both of those records, just so you know, Candida, two million records, not three times, five million records domestically. Okay, so that's seven million records before I even leave my job. How did it go when they found out it was your voice? And how did Clive take that? So I go to Clive Davis, because it's my dream, right, to be a singer. I got seven million records sold and no one knows I'm Dawn. <laughs> the name of the group is not Tony Orlando and Dawn yet. It's just Dawn. And why is it Dawn? It was because the record promoter's daughter's name is Dawn. So Hank, the producer, thought, if I say Dawn, maybe he'll work harder on the record. Honest. So I go to Clive. I said, Clive, I have to leave the company. I'm grateful to everything you've done for me. He said, why? Because you're Dawn? I said, wait a minute. You know oh, I'm Oh, he Dawn? knew. Oh. He said, of course I know. It's the worst kept secret in the record business. You mean everybody knows I'm Dawn? Yeah, everybody knows, Tony. That's your sound. We know your sound from the Carol King days. I said, oh, my God. I said, tell you what you do. You go and search out your dream. And if it doesn't come true, you can always come home. Nice. And to this day, I'm close to Clive. Still talk to him. And he's 90 years old. Yeah, very nice. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, I'll continue my conversation with award-winning entertainer, Tony Orlando. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Oh, my darling, not three times on the ceiling if you want me. If you're just joining us, my guest is singer, songwriter, author, and award-winning entertainer, Tony Orlando. When would Thelma Hopkins and Joyce Vincent Wilson enter your life as the famous Don? Well, I was using them as background singers on the Barry Manilow records that I was recording. They were part of a group called Hot Buttered Soul. They're the background singers to Isaac Hayes. Mm. So it was Thelma who said, shut your mouth on Shaft. Isaac Hayes, remember that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's a bad mother. She was like, shut your mouth. All right, that was her. You see this cat chef is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Well, I'm talking about Shaft. Yeah, he's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman. And she did all of the Motown records, turned it through the great Violet Marvin Gaye. So they were a very popular background singing group. And when I had them in the studio, I said, would you guys like to go on the road and be Dawn with me? And Thelma said, how much? <laughs> and I said, how much? And she said, how long? And I said, England. And she said, I'm in. She wanted to go to Europe. So she thought it was going to be a very, very short trip as Dawn because all she cared about was getting paid and going to Europe. <laughs> and her cousin, Joyce Vincent, was the same, same way. But when we got to England, we were a huge success. I mean, the records were huge there. And the uh, audiences were huge. So we kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. And it yeah. just continued and blossomed. And then we cut Yellow Ribbon, had our television show for CBS. Right. I'm going to get to that. 
Working in the business for over six decades, you've made a lot of friends or colleagues along the way. Elvis, Frank Sinatra, Betty Ford, and of course, Freddie Prince. Any side stories you'd like to share about any of those? Well, they're pretty famous people, and yeah. I really was able to make friends with them. We'll start with Frank Sinatra. So, so Frank Sinatra, I met, uh, he was uh, honoring Gene Kelly at the Friars Club in mm. New York, and I was asked if I would come to that event. Now, I had never met Frank Sinatra, and so I was nervous. And they told me, wear your tuxedo, but make sure you wear a red hanky because that's the club. Black and white tuxedo, shirt, bow tie, red hanky. That's the club. Dean wore red hanky. Frank wore red hanky. So when I get there, I walk into the green room, and there's Frank Sinatra himself on a microphone, and he's lining up the guests that are on the dais for this event with Gene Kelly. So the first thing he does, he said, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, up front, behind you, Sammy Davis, get behind them. Gregory Peck, get behind them. Mickey Rooney, get behind him. Jimmy Cagney, get behind him. Are you recognizing you're young? No, I know those names, yes. Right? And there was a list as long as you could go. Finally, gets to the end and he says, Tony Orlando, follow me. Well, that puts me in front of Elizabeth Taylor and behind Frank Sinatra. I can't figure out why he's done this. So I start whispering to him, Mr. Sinatra, why are you doing this? He'd say, shut up, kid, I'll tell you later. So we get to the dais, and it's a double-decked dais, right? So the lower dais, there's a podium, and Frank is the host. Behind him is the second-layer podium, and a guest's behind him. He tells Telly Savalas to go over to the end of the table, get my card, put it behind him, and he says to Telly, and you take Tony's spot at the end. Tavalis says, you got it, boss. Hmm. Now I'm sitting directly behind Frank Sinatra. I still don't understand why he's doing this. I'm in the middle of the sea of superstars. Tony Bennett's singing. Sinatra gets down behind on the floor behind the podium. And I lean over and I said, Mr. Sinatra, <laughs> Why are you doing this? This is incredible. He said, shut up. I'll tell you later. Okay, so later comes, which is the end of the show. I'm very afraid now to walk up to him. I just wait. Finally, he walks up to me. He goes, all right, now ask me, why did you do this, Mr. Sinatra? He said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Who is the host this evening? I said, you are, sir. Who is sitting directly behind me with an eyesight of the audience? I said, I am, sir. He said, who is the new kid on the block? Mm -hmm. I said, I am, sir. He said, well, welcome to show business. That's how we treat the new kids on the block. Nice. That was my first meeting with Sinatra. Yeah. And then you would go on to continue a relationship with him throughout the years? Oh, yes, Yes, absolutely, all through the years. And then with Elvis, there was a, at the Las Vegas Hilton Hotel, there was a lounge that set 600 people. That's a big lounge. (laughs) He was in the main room. I was in the lounge. Mm -hmm. Well, you would start the shows at the lounge at 8 o'clock, then followed by Kenny Rogers, who would come in at 9 o'clock. 
Then followed by Lee Greenwood, he'd come in at 10 o'clock. Then I'd go on at 11 o'clock. And then he'd go on at 12 o'clock. And then he'd go on and so forth. Mm. And we go all the way to whoever ends up at six in the morning. Oh. At six in the morning, I had in a 600 room, one guy sitting at his table like this. <laughs> so the maitre d says to me you want to cancel the show i said no i said i'll do the whole show sitting at this guy's table for fun so i'm doing this whole show for one guy drunk with his head in his arm at this table well the word got out to elvis he's in the main room the next night i go on my turn was seven o'clock before his show i'm on stage to a pretty full house all of a sudden in the corner of my eye, I see a little bit of white coming towards me. And I turn and there's this handsome, almost godlike handsome man walking towards me in a white shirt, white pair of pants and white shoes, boots. I'll never forget it. He looked like a god hmm. and it was him, Elvis. And he passed me by, but he didn't realize, the audience went, oh, he didn't realize that the other end of the stage there was no wings, it was a bar. Oh. So he ended up walking into the bar. So now I knew I had him. <laughs> so I said, okay, young man, now you gotta walk back because you got no place else to go. Your mind stopping at the microphone. He walks back, leans in and his famous, thank you very much, and then continues to walk. Oh. Well, from that day on, I never had one guy. I always had a full house because <laughs> the word was out that Elvis comes down to see me. Lo and behold, uh, a year and a half later, I had Yellow Ribbon and the television show. Now we're headliners right. in Elvis's room. So there I was now coming in like the night before I would open. It's his show. I'd hang out with him in the dressing room. Mm -hmm. And then my relationship with Elvis became, and here's the thing about the note. Remember we talked about the five gents back in the hallway? Yes. And halfway to paradise? I get a note back then, and it says, I have you in my jukebox. I love this song, signed Elvis Presley. I took that and I threw it away. I said, come on, this is ridiculous. Who wrote this? And I threw it away. So now I'm in the dressing room with him, and I said, Elvis, can I ask you a question? 1961, I had a record called Halfway to Paradise. Is it true? Is it true? He said, absolutely. Oh. I used to sit at the piano and I would play him. You mean you threw it away? I said, I threw it away. I didn't think it was you. Okay, all these years later, I wanted to reconfirm the story because I thought maybe he was just being nice. So I had Priscilla Presley on my radio show. I have a radio show in New York City. I know. You see, so I have Priscilla on the show. I said, Priscilla, did Elvis ever have Halfway to Paradise in the jukebox? Oh, my God, did he ever? Not only did he have it in the jukebox, but he used to play it at the piano. Hmm. He confirmed the story. How nice. So this article recently came out. I don't know how it got out about that somehow, and they confirmed it with Priscilla, and with the new movie Elvis came out, it was on the Internet pretty big. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you for sharing both of those let me reintroduce my guest as singer and songwriter and overall entertainer, Tony Orlando. Now, you've performed also for some presidents, five presidents in your time. What was that experience like for you? And was it was it always Democrats? 
It's eight presidents. Oh, eight. Excuse me. Okay, I didn't do my homework well enough. Let me ask you a question about Democrats, okay? I can't distinguish Democrats or Republicans in my audience, so I'm not even going to answer your question. Perfect. I don't do shows for Republicans and Democrats. I do shows for people. Lovely. I I have a red, white, and blue state of mind, so I've done at the Pentagon for Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. I've done for our military, uh, the inaugural ball, for our military and first responders for Donald Trump. I've done for Jimmy Carter and his wife. We work very closely for the National Association of Retarded Citizens. Uh, In fact, I remember at the White House sharing a blanket that I gave to his wife for the White House on behalf of that organization. I've been very close to the Fords. They were very close friends of mine. So, you know, it's funny. I recently did a movie in Massachusetts with Adam Sandler called That's My Boy, Mm -hmm. uh, 10 years ago. While I was there, I was invited to go sailing with the Kennedys. And on a bad, rainy day, we couldn't leave. So Mrs. Kennedy, Ethel Kennedy, who insisted I call her sweetheart, (laughs) because I've known her for so many years, she said, sweetheart, we can't go sailing, but we're going to have a lunch for you. And they did have a lunch for me at the very Kennedy compound. One week later, the Bushes came in for their vacation that they have every single year in Massachusetts, in the house that we filmed the movie in. The owner of the house says to me, George Bush and his wife, Laura, are coming to stay here for vacation. They found out you were here. Would you have lunch with them? So I had a lunch with the Kennedys on one Sunday and the following Sunday, lunch with the Bushes. And this is what I remember him saying to me. I said, you know, Mr. President, I had an incredible Saturday last night. I had lunch with Ethel Kennedy and the Kennedy family. And he says, oh, that's wonderful. He says, you know, Tony, my father and Bill Clinton are best friends. He said, and I've known the Kennedys all my life. We may have some disagreements politically, but we have no disagreements as friends. Ah, oh, nice. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. To learn more about Tony Orlando, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. And tune in next week when Tony talks about his variety show, his weekly radio show, and his newest projects. A hundred yellow ribbons around the If you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you think would make a good segment. Go to kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on the link to share your story idea. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at 919Lifestyles and search for Lifestyles with Lillian on Instagram. Or go to kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on the social media icons at the top of the page. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharina Watt, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, Natasha Coles, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. 
Join me next week at the same time for Life Sales with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now. Yeah, the simple things in life.